I started to realize that restoration is not a one-night topic. There are hundreds of instances of restoration in the Bible. And before we dig into that, I'm going to give you the short version of my testimony. Um, Probably 15 years ago, 16 years ago, Gary and Galilee guests were in church at a local church, and she came to me out of nowhere with a prophetic message, laid hands on me, and said that I would preach the gospel someday. And as that was being said, the song Grace Like Rain was playing on the intercom, and it unleashed a thunderstorm like we had right before service tonight that just rattled the building. And when I was praying tonight about what is about to happen here, God unleashed grace like rain, and he said, don't worry about it, I've got you. And every time I'm at the pulpit, he's got me. He's just like he's got you. Um, I've got a degree in addictions counseling. I was an alcoholic at age 14. And until I was 24, I drank like there was nothing on the planet but alcohol. I didn't know what water was. And when I went back to school in my 30s, I got a degree in addictions counseling and was going to continue that. And God very quickly told me, no, you're not. You're going to go into ministry. And I fought and I kicked. And I said, no, but I want to do this addictions counseling thing and help people that that were in the shape that I was in, in the spot that I was in. And no matter how hard I resisted, I enrolled at Liberty University and I got a bachelor's degree in religion. And I made God a promise that I would take a semester off and I would further that education. And two semesters later, he reminded me that I made that promise and I went back to Liberty and I graduated with a master's degree from Liberty Seminary in religion with emphasis on discipleship. I spent 10 years with a Real Life Worship Center in Cassville as as a youth pastor and associate pastor there. And when we left there, we really wasn't sure where we were supposed to go. And I gave it to God, and God said, when was the last time you heard Wyatt Clevenger preach? Just clear as a bell. And the answer was big God, like the second or third one, years back. So we sought him out, and we went to Grace, and I I sat under Wyatt, and the first day we were there, we were leaving. And his wife called my wife out and said, when are you going to sing here? And as she hesitated to create an answer, Wyatt looked at me, and he said, and you, whenever God brings you a message for his people, my pulpit is your pulpit. And I responded with, and I quote, Thank you, but I think God's got me in a period of revival and restoration. And I walked out the door, and I got under the canopy, and I told my wife I had to turn around and go back in. And when I opened the door, God had told me to go back in and tell him that when he gave me something for his people, I would bring it. And when I opened the door, Wyatt said, you don't have to tell me. I already know. God said, when you've got something for his people, you'll bring it. Word for word, he knew what God had told me. If that's not a sign, then I don't think there is such thing as a sign. (laughs) So I filled in for Wyatt some out there, and... When he resigned, they brought in some people from the Southern Baptist Convention that turned that church upside down, and we could not continue to be a part of what was going on there. It was not spirit-led. The Holy Ghost wasn't there, and it was organized religion from the word go. And I bring up organized religion because on my final paper for my seminary degree, we had to observe religions in this religion class and then pick one and write your final thesis paper on it. And I had 57 pages on why I didn't believe in denomination and I submitted it to a Southern Baptist preacher. And I was scared to death to submit it because I thought I was going to fail. And it was the last grade I needed for my degree. And grades come out, and everybody on the forum boards was talking about what grade they got, except one guy, this guy. I didn't get a grade. And a week after everybody else got their papers, I got a long email. And he said, congratulations, you passed the class, and I want to thank you for writing your paper in the manner that you did. You woke this old Baptist minister up to some things that he never realized were even out there. And that's when I knew I wasn't meant for a Baptist church. I wasn't meant for a Methodist church. I wasn't meant for a Catholic church. I wasn't meant for a Pentecostal church. I was meant for 
the church. The church is each and every one of you sitting here tonight. It doesn't matter if we're inside the walls of the building or if we're outside the walls of the building, and it's all about Him. It has nothing to do with the name on the, on the building, the denomination that, that they claim to be. For the last year that Wyatt Clevenger preached at Grace Baptist Church, it was not Baptist. And, and he resigned because they wanted to lean that way, we found out. But it's not about the building. It's about Him. So that's a little bit about me, where I came from, how I got to where I'm at, and hopefully where I'm going. God's, God's word for me praying in December of 22 was rest, 2022 was restoration. And little did I know at the time how deep it was going to be because me, at least men, think of restoration in the sense of an old car. I've restored several of them. I have a blast doing it. I enjoy it. Sometimes it's equipment, tractors. There's guys that restore tractors. There's houses. I mean, you can even restore relationships. Restoration is all about everything. And tonight we're going to talk about the relationship part of it. Women, I can't speak for you on behalf of any of this because I'm a gearhead, so just bear with me here. I'm sure there's some of you out there that had an old car when you were younger and you thought it was pretty cool and vroom, vroom, that kind of thing. But as Christians, we've been able to experience the greatest restoration the world has ever known. God restored us from death to life, cleansed us of our sins, and made us pure in His sight, and now we get to spend eternity with Him in heaven. When you talk about restoration, does it get any better? It can't get any better. That's the ultimate restoration. We serve a God who reconciles, He heals, He binds what was broken, and He makes all things new. He restores. In Jeremiah thirty seventeen, we read, For I will restore health to you, for I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declareth the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, it is Zion for whom no one cares. Now, I brought my study Bible. My grandmother, that's the other reason. <laughs> When we talk about my grandma, there's, there's so many things, but in 1996, the year I got out of the military, I was in a very dark place, still an alcoholic. And for Christmas, this was my gift. And it was brand new in 1996. And they say you can tell a, a lot about a man when you look at his Bible. It's tore up. It's, the binding's broke. I've taped it. I still love this Bible. And the reason I love it is because it's a teaching Bible. And the explanation that they give for that scripture in this Bible so 3012 through 3018, basically, they say the medical language here conveys the idea that sin is terminal. Sinful people cannot be cured by being good or being religious. Beware of putting your confidence in useless cures while your sin spreads and causes you pain. God alone can cure the disease of sin, but you must be willing to let him do it. How many people, and don't raise your hands, don't, every time I ask a question, it's hypothetical, don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. How many people here tonight walk around with a pain or an ailment or a memory of somebody that hurt them that they can't let go of? Or I'm going to use the word hatred because it's out there. I've been there. I don't have hate in my heart anymore. There are things I dislike, and that's okay. You can dislike something and still love the person. Judah protested its punishment even though the, that even though the sin that caused the pain was scandalous. But punishment is an opportunity for growth because it makes us aware of sin's consequences. The people should have asked how they could pro the people should have asked how they could profit from their mistakes. Remember this the next time you're corrected. Don't get mad when somebody corrects you. I don't live a perfect life and a perfect marriage, and my wife correct corrects me often. And I used to get mad. Now she says I have passive hearing. Sometimes I hear it and sometimes I don't, and sometimes when I hear it I act like I don't. In 3018, it says, The prophecy that Jerusalem would be rebuilt was not completely fulfilled by the work of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. 
The city was indeed rebuilt after the captivity, but the final restoration will occur when all believers are gathered in Christ's kingdom. This restoration will include buildings, people, and rulers. Now, if we look back through history, how many rulers did we see that were just horrible people? Horrible! Annihilated complete races, complete groups of people, but the Bible tells us right there they're going to be restored. If God can restore the most horrible people on this world, who are we to look down on anybody? I don't know about you, but this scripture in itself is enough to show me that restoration is not just Jerusalem or Jacob or Judah. If God is restoring cities, nations, and countries, who are we to think that He can't restore us? Nothing is unrestorable. Nothing. But ironically, people think it every day. I would bet that if any one of you went to town today, you met more than one person that feels like they are in a situation that cannot be restored. And 99% don't know Christ. And that's where the church comes in outside the walls of the building that we call the church. Because restoration starts with one word. And that one word is an introduction. It can be as simple as, hi, how are you today? It can be as simple as, and I've seen Dan do it. Hey, can I pray for you? Out of the blue, can I pray for you? That's pretty bold when you don't know somebody, and I give you props for that because I've done it, and I've been met with some resistance, and then sometimes people are just, they just cave. Absolutely, yes, you can pray for me. The first time I ever met Gary and Galilee guests, my dad tricked me into meeting them. I was at a point in my life where I didn't believe in that hokum. That was my exact words, and I, I told him, I said, I don't believe in that hokum. I don't need to meet them. And he called me on a Saturday, and he asked, my wife if we, asked me if me and my wife wanted to meet them in Cassville at the Mexican restaurant for lunch. I asked her, and we said, sure. And we pull up, and I knew it was a setup because there were four people at the table. And we ate lunch, and we talked, and they came back to our house, and I was about a week away from having to have a knee surgery. I've had seven knee, knee surgeries on my right knee, and it's been replaced finally. But I was about to face a surgery pretty quick, and she knew it, and she could tell by the way I was walking. And being from South Africa, and as a taxidermist, she was thrilled to want to walk down and look at my shop, and there's about 500 steps to get down to it at the time so when we were walking down through there she said can I pray for you just boldly said it and I've never been one to turn down prayer and I said yeah you, you sure can and when we got back to the house and I sat down in my chair she came over and she got down on her knees and she put her hands on my knee and Gary put his hands on my shoulders and it felt like I had been lit up by 220 volts of electricity from my feet to my head and I knew that it wasn't hokum I knew right then and there that there was more to church than going to church and singing a song and listening to a message and going back home and living Monday through Saturday like a different person. And, when they, when, and as quick as she was done, she stood up and, and her South African accent said, okay, we have to go to Walmart and get stuff for the bus. And out the door she went. And Gary went and my dad and my stepmom and I stood up. I started doing things I knew I couldn't do before. And I mean, I was moving around and I picked up the phone and I called my dad and before I could say a word he picked up the phone and he said I know you're, you're healed. They hadn't even pulled out of the, off the road to the main highway. I could still see the truck and I didn't have that surgery. It, it was years later they finally I had to do something again and I still was so weak and young in my walk that I didn't realize that I could have come to that right there and laid it down and been fine. In Psalms 51:12, it says ask God to restore the joy of his salvation to you. Think about that. Ask him to restore the joy of his salvation to you. If you haven't experienced God's joy, I invite you tonight when the altar's open to come and get it because there is nothing like it. I've experienced some awesome joys in my life the birth of my children, the birth of my grandchildren, victories in sports, victories in uh, you name it. But nothing compares to the victory 
of salvation. Nothing. This tells me that the most seasoned of Christians can backslide into the depths of needing restoration. If it's in the Bible and says, ask God to restore the joy of His salvation to you, that means you've had it, but you lost it. I used to believe in once saved, always saved. That's another Baptist thing. Throw that out with the dirty dishwater because it's not true. You can backslide into the depths of hell tonight. And guess what? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, if you ask for it, you can have that restoration again. My study Bible says, do you ever feel stagnant in your faith as though you're just going through the motions? Has sin ever driven a wedge between you and God, making him seem distant? David felt this way after he had sinned with Bathsheba. Now let's stop right there. David sinned with Bathsheba in the worst possible way. Adultery is horrible. But what happened? Here's my Jesus bumps. What happened? What happened to David? He had just been confronted by Nathan the prophet in his prayer. He cried, Restore me to the joy of your salvation. God wants us to be close to him and to experience his full and complete life. Not a little bit of it. All of it. Now, I'm from Missouri. It's the show me state. So for a while, I was like, God, show me. Show me. What is this joy you speak of? He showed me. And he took a lot of things out of my life. I didn't realize how little I needed to be happy. God wants us to be close to him and to experience his full and complete life. But sin that remains unconfessed makes such intimacy impossible. Didn't you preach here the other day, confess with the mouth? If you refuse to speak it and sit on your hands in church and think, oh, that's not for me. That's not for me. I've been there. I've been that guy. We're singing the songs. Hey, there's the preacher. Oh, he's preaching. Oh, yep, time to go home. Football's on. I still have that problem. If you go over on Sundays when the Chiefs are on, I'm like, and I'm not even a Chiefs fan. I just like to watch their quarterback. Yeah, but then somebody spoils it. Facebook kills that. You may still have to face some earthly consequences for your decisions. But guess what? After those consequences are gone, what happens? You get that joy unspeakable. Remember that song? Dan probably can sing it. I'm not a singer. I'm not even going to try. It's, it's not pretty. My wife is the singer in our family, and I'm the preacher. So I won't, I won't torture you with that. But I do remember the joy unspeakable, and it makes me want to tap my foot and get, I want to dance. As David, you'll have earthly consequences as David did, but God will give you back the joy of your relationship with him. If you've ever had something ripped away from you, a grandparent, a parent, how, how badly would you love to have them back? The joy that God is speaking of right here in the Bible is a thousand times that. And until we realize what that joy is and how much that joy means and how great it is to have it, we're just treading water. If David, after committing adultery, can be restored, who are we to think we can't be given the same mercy and grace for our sins? The key here is confessing our sins to God. We're going to go to Romans 10.9. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe, not possibly. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I've been in some pretty shameful situations in my life. And God can restore each and every one of them. Not nine of them out of ten. Not 33%. All of them. I'm getting ready to turn 50 in a month. Oh, I don't even want to. I I used to tell everybody, man, I can't believe in 50-year-old people. They're just so old. And then I thought, man, I'm going to turn 40. And I thought, well... Average age of man is 78, and if I'm 40, then I'm, I'm at the top of the hill. I'm already on the downhill slide, and now I'm going to be 50. And I told everybody for, forever, I said, I won't live to be 65, and that's why my body is just a mess. I lived very recklessly until my mid-20s. 
And now I wish I would have thought more about that because I want to be that old man. I want to be that guy that's sitting in a rocking chair out on the front porch with great grandbabies running around messing up my yard. That My wife will con- confess this too, that right now I'm very anal about our yard. We've got two granddaughters that just are like typhoons, and when they come through, things just go here, there, and everywhere, and I'm running around saying, what, what, I, it'll be okay. That's what she tells me, it'll be okay. And I suppose it will, but there's that pride. I, 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 just like I talked about Wednesday, I, I take pride in what we've done over there, and I know that that's a blessed place and that that land was consecrated to God, and the walls are filled with Scripture. We went through it before we put any sheetrock up, and there are Scriptures on studs throughout that house, and we gave it all to Him. But pride cometh before the fall, and my pride gets in the way, and I want it to look perfect, and I want it to look nice, and I, I, don't, I shouldn't care what people think, but I do. It's human nature. So later tonight, you're going to see something happen that I'm going to give that pride to God, and I'm going to walk away from it. I don't know about you, but I choose to believe the unerring word of God, the Bible, the absolute truth. Unerring is defined as always right or accurate. My wife would say, I claim to be unerring. I'm not always right. I'd like to think I am. That's what men do, right? So if the Bible is unerring, who are we to believe differently? If you take this book and read it front to back, and I'm sure if you haven't, do, you're going to find things in there that you're going to go, ah, come on. I'm telling you, it's the unerring Word of God. If it was not the Word of God, it wouldn't be in this book, and if it wasn't, wasn't, in the, if it wasn't true, it wouldn't be in this book. So when we read this book... We have to take it for face value, which is the absolute truth. No in-between. It's the absolute truth of God. In Isaiah 61, 7, and these are just a few scriptures about restoration. Like I said, you could preach for weeks on this. There are hundreds. Little did I know in December when he gave me the word restoration. (laughs) My study was not going to be a one-week study and out. Restoration is a long, thorough study and a long, thorough process, you're not going to be restored overnight. If you are, great, because some people can be. We've witnessed it right out of the water. Boom, healed. Lupus gone. Eyesight restored. Some people, it takes time. And in that time, you develop a relationship, and that relationship was with Christ. It's you and Him. That's it. It's not hard. It just takes some dedication. Isaiah 61.7 says, Instead of their... Instead of their shame, my people receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. If anybody here has ever lost a loved one and got an inheritance, I'm hopeful that you were thankful for it. But how many of you thought, man, what if that was double? What could I do if that was double? Well, he tells us right there, you're going to receive a double portion. In fact, it's, it's, it's said twice. I've got to think if he said it twice in a scripture, he's trying to drive home a, a point. It's not in passing, hey, Dan, you're going to receive a double portion. Hey, Mona, you're going to receive a double portion. No, he's standing right there. He's telling them, you're going to receive a double portion. And a sentence later, he tells them, you're going to receive a double portion. It's not a little consequence, a little, a little statement. It's a big deal. The Bible's loaded with scriptures and stories of restoration. I found 37 scriptures almost immediately speaking of it. Just the first night, I picked four so that we didn't drag this out for hours and hours. Because we could be here till midnight. I know there's more, and when Jesus died at the cross, it was finished. John 19.30 tells us the, that exact word. I shared with Dan here a while back. When I was a youth pastor, I, challenged, I used to challenge the youth to come in with a scripture every week. 
Didn't matter what it was. Memorize it. Come in and share it. Don't read it right before you walk in the door and then come in and stumble and stutter and memorize it. And one challenge was to find the shortest scripture in the Bible. And my favorite scripture is it is finished because it reminds me that right there is where it was finished. I loved it so much that it's, it's with me all the time right there. Plus, I didn't want to forget it. And these kids come in and they've all got scripture and we're talking and nobody had anything shorter than it is finished. And then Dan said, what about he wept? I was a youth pastor for five years and at that point didn't even think about he wept. He wept. He wept right there. But guess what? It was finished right there. So as John 19.30 tells us the exact words that it was finished, tonight as we begin to wrap this up, I want to ask you, what are you carrying? What kind of burden are you carrying tonight? Everybody here has a burden. If you tell me you don't have something that you're carrying with you right now, I'm going to call you a liar. Because I'm standing right here telling you that I have things that I'm carrying. I'm going to ask all of you to reach under your chair right now. You're going to find something under there. Each and every chair has one, so reach under there and right at the front of your chair. The reason that is there is for you to put it in your pocket, men. I, I don't put things on my key ring because I hate to weigh down my ignition on my vehicle and it tears them up. And from working in dealerships, I can't tell you how many times the women had come in there and there'd be like 40 keys and 6,000 key rings and it weighed 80 pounds and they're wondering why their car won't start. Women, if you choose to put it on your keychain, great. I carry mine in my pocket. But carry that with you as a, remem- as a reminder that that's where it was finished. Because if you'll remember at the cross is where it was finished... That's where you come back to, to give it up, to leave it, to lay it down and don't pick it back up. And when I say to lay it down and not pick it back up, that's where this comes into play. You're going to have an opportunity to come right up here to this cross, and in this bucket right here are little pieces of paper. And there are pins laying right here. And you can go back to your chair, you can come over here, you can write at the altar, and you just write on here what it is you want to leave at the cross. And you grab one of these nails right here. And if you don't want people to see what you put on your paper, turn your paper around and face it towards the cross. Jesus don't care. And you pick up one of these hammers and tap it in there and walk away. There's hundreds of papers up there. If you need more than one, write on more than one. And as you tap those in there, make sure each paper overlaps. The altar's open, but don't be afraid to come up here and leave it at that cross.